You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Fall is my favorite time of year. I know I've told several of you that in conversations already. I love the onset of cooler weather. I'm one of those people that looks forward to the first day that I can wear a sweater because I, I just like going out in the, in the cool air wearing a sweater. And my wife likes to knit as well, so when I can bundle up in woolens, it's actually special to me because I get to put on things that she has made for me. And I love watching the world explode in color as the leaves change. And I love the quality of the light in the fall. I haven't done it for a while, but I used to spend a lot of time doing photography, and so looking out for that that just the right light to take pictures is something that I always cherish and love. And in fall, there's still a warmth in the light that together with the nip in the air is just inviting. It makes me want to go spend time outside. There are a few things that I love more than a long walk on a cool fall day. But this Thursday, when I looked out my window while I was working on my sermon, I had no desire to go outside. Smoke from the forest fires blanketed the sky so thickly that it felt like twilight in the middle of the day. And the light that did get through had a sickly, eerie quality. The fires have been impacting the air quality here in Fort Collins for for months now. But I think that Thursday, this Thursday was about as bad as Labor Day, which was the last time that I had seen it where it just felt dark in the middle of the day. We're driving to pick up some lunch, my car's lights automatically turned on because the the smoke was so thick. And one person I spoke to after that Labor Day encounter said that the, that first day where the, the red sun and the darkness in the air made it feel apocalyptic. Um, and that sense has carried on into now. And I think that that's actually a good term to describe both the smoke hanging in the air and 2020 in general. Because the Greek word apocalypse means to reveal something and to make it fully known. So when the book of Revelation, Revelation is actually the the translation of the word apocalypse. So it's the revelation because it's revealing something to us. It's making something known. Apocalyptic literature in the Bible does often talk about the future, which is what we think of when we think of apocalypse. But it does so in a way that's giving us a glimpse of what God is doing on a grand scale that helps us make sense of what's going on right now. And 2020, I think, has been apocalyptic, not in the sense that we find ourselves on the edge of the end of the world, but because it has revealed many of the fractures that were already there in our society. It has been a revealing year. Fractures that were in our political system, fractures perhaps in our families, as we were all forced to stay in close quarters together for long periods of time. Fractures um, in the uneven application of justice throughout our country. All of these things, the razor-thin economic margins that many people found themselves on, where when the economy slows down for a moment and it doesn't carry them along with it, they suddenly find themselves in great need. And the seemingly unending stream of bad news that we've received this year has revealed our deep need for good news, for the gospel itself. And Jesus' words in our gospel reading from today, where he is encountering the the scribes and and they ask him about the greatest commandment. And he tells them that they need to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, 
and mind. Drawing from the text of, of Deuteronomy, I think that these words, as he gives a light for how to look at the scriptures, serve a similar purpose. They unveil what was hidden, and what they reveal, ultimately, is the good news that we so desperately need right now. Because when the scribe came up to him and asked that question about what is the greatest commandment in the law, the law that he's referring to was the, the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. And according to Jewish tradition, there were 613 distinct commandments in there, in, in those five books. And so they wanted to be able to, it was a pretty common debate among scholars that he's trying to pull Jesus into. Which of these commandments is the greatest? Not in the sense that there's some that we're going to pay attention to and some that we're going to ignore, but in the sense that they're looking for an interpretive lens. How do we understand these commands? Which are more foundational? And by um, Jesus answers very plainly. He says that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy 6, which is part of the prayer known as the Shema, which was and still is recited by devout Jews every day. Shema means hear, and it is the first word of, uh, in, of the section in Deuteronomy that the, the prayer begins with, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It is both a statement of God's nature, a fairly radical statement in a polytheistic society to be able to talk about the oneness of God, and also a statement of how we, or Israel, Israel the people of God, are to respond to the God who has revealed himself to us. What God desires from his people, first and foremost, above all, is love for him. With all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our might. It's a love that holds nothing back. He wants all of our desires, all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, all of our resources, everything we have devoted to him. We could talk about, I think those words of heart, soul, mind, strength, it's, it can be helpful to help us understand the completeness, but we can get caught up a little bit in talking about the different categories that this means, about this one means my desire and this one means my thoughts, and really the point is that it's inclusive. It's all-inclusive. There's nothing that we're supposed to be excluding from our love from God. And Jesus adds to this a second commandment that is like it. That is first and foremost. We love God. But our second commandment that is like it from Leviticus 19 you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God calls us into this relationship, this vertical relationship with him, but then it doesn't stop there. While that love for him comes first, love is to spread outward to others as well. And in his other teaching throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that neighbor is not to be taken in a narrow sense. The idea here is not that we're, again, we're not trying to exclude certain categories or certain people from love. We are to love anyone and everyone. In fact, anyone to whom we show mercy, those whom we, who we act as neighbors, become our neighbors. The centrality of love in both a vertical and horizontal direction is profound. But it is what Jesus says next that I think makes his statement take on the nature of revelation. He says, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Now the law, as we have already said, was not just the commandments that were found in the scriptures, 
The law was the entirety of those first five books of the Bible, the entire Torah. And the prophets, in this sense, is everything else in the Hebrew Scriptures, everything else that's in the Old Testament. Sometimes the, the Hebrew Scriptures are divided up into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. But in other places, it's pretty clear that in the New Testament, when Jesus refers to the law and the prophets, he's referring to the entirety of the Hebrew canon. He's referring to all of the scriptures there. And the, so he's saying that all of the Old Testament hangs upon these commands. And it's this statement that makes this passage take on an apocalyptic nature, revealing what was already there. The commands were already there in the Old Testament. Jesus isn't coming up with a new law. But by looking at it through these lens, he's laying it out for us all to see how the significance and importance of love in the scriptures. And when Jesus says that the law and the prophets hang upon these two commands, love your God, love God, and love your neighbor, he's indicating a dependent relationship, like a door hanging on hinges. If you take these things out, the door falls down. So you can't properly understand scripture, you can't properly interpret what's going on in the Old Testament and the story of God's people apart from these commands. Love God and love neighbor. So when we read scripture through this lens, when God created Adam, we read it with that law of love in mind. He created him to be in a loving relationship with himself. This is at the very essence and the purpose of humanity, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. When, Adam and Eve, when God created Eve, he's giving him a partner where he can actually practice love of neighbor as he loves himself. That's the way that he's supposed to love his wife, is that he's supposed to love her as he loves himself. In fact, you know, Paul ends up applying that directly to the way that husbands and wives relate later on in the New Testament. Love, them as you lo love her as you love himself, as Jesus loved us. When they sinned, they broke that highest command. Above all else, it's not just looking at rebellion or disobedience. It is a command that they did not love God with their whole self. And from that point forward, love of God and love of neighbor will be broken over and over again. But God was not content to leave us in a place where that love was broken. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he chose a people through whom he desired to restore that loving relationship, who he would teach what it means to love God and love neighbor. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt on the Exodus, the defining moment for the nation of Israel, the story that they looked back to over and over again to understand who they are, he wanted them to be free so that they could love him as he knew that it was good to be loved, so that they could love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, with all their strength. And when he gave them the law on Sinai, all of it, the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, the laws that we read about how they treat foreigners, like we read in the Old Testament reading today, was teaching them how to love God and how to love one another. When David was named as Israel's greatest king, it was first and foremost because he loved God well. When Israel fell under the judgment of God and was sent into exile, it was because they had forsaken their love of God and wanted, God wanted to restore them to himself. When the prophets wrote words of judgment for a people who had forsaken justice and mercy, it was because they had failed to love God and their neighbor. All of the scripture, from beginning to end, can and should be read through this lens of love that God is calling us to these commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. But this works in reverse as well. Jesus doesn't say that the law of love somehow replaces the law. He says that it holds it up. And by looking at all of these other commandments that are given to us by God, we begin to get a picture of what God has in mind when he commands us to love him with all our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus' statement doesn't just reveal the true nature of the law, it also reveals the true nature of love, the love that God desires. And the love that God wants is often very different than the love that is encouraged by the world. There is a slogan on some of the political signs that are in my neighborhood as I walk by where it, that says, love is love. It's one that has been a fairly prominent slogan. And setting aside for a moment, if you can, the specific issue that that's actually trying to talk about, it's just a plainly false statement. God doesn't desire narcissistic self-love or our domineering love where we try to, to smother and contain and, and hold somebody for our own benefit or self-indulgent love where we're just seeking after hedonistic pleasure. He calls us to a love that is not concerned so much with what feels good, but what actually is good. This is not to say that our feelings don't matter or that loving God does not feel good, but it is what we are created for, after all. We're actually fulfilling our purpose when we love God. But all of those 613 rules acknowledge that our heart and soul and mind and strength are all broken by sin, and we need guidance and direction to learn what it means to love properly again. We need to understand that the love is a love that remembers that God moved first for his people and responds. Over and over through the Old Testament, we get this call back to remember, to recall what God has done. When we read the Psalms, oftentimes they, they break into spontaneous praise after remembering what God has done for, for Israel, what God has done for his people. And the love that we have, the love that, that we are called to love God, is a love that remembers and responds to God's first movement towards us. It's a love that makes sacrifices, literally in the Old Testament and figuratively today. We give up, we sacrifice for our, ourselves for the sake of loving others. And it is a love that is enduring, bound by covenant. When, Abraham, when God called Abraham into a relationship of love, he, he called him into covenant, bound him to him. A love that is not subject to the whims of our feelings or desires or changing circumstances. A love that is not until one of us doesn't feel like it anymore, but a love that is bound together forever. It is a love that grows beyond the narrow boundaries of our families and is concerned for justice and mercy for everyone with whom we come in contact. Take again, for example, our Old Testament reading for today, which calls for justice for the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless child. The commands, that commands us not to take advantage of the poor, but to act with compassion towards the most vulnerable. And this is what God has intended in love. If we don't act in compassion, if we don't live out our love in caring for others, then we are not fulfilling what he has called us to. And it's a love that impacts every single part of our life. Nothing is held back. Nothing we do is untouched by this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The ceremonial laws that we no longer follow get to this. The food laws, the dietary laws get to this. It's the love that impacts everything. Nothing is held back. No part of our life. And when we summarize the law like that, when we think of the law and look at it through that lens of a complete and total love, that every moment of every day, 
we are to direct every part of ourself to the love of God. And we are able to, we are to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. It is plain, very obvious, that we fall short. Jesus' summary of the law doesn't just reveal the true nature of the law and the true nature of love, it also reveals our own sin and how very short we fall from the standard that he has set. In some ways, it would be easier to keep a long list of rules where I can have a checklist each day that says, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. When the one thing that we have to check off of our list is that I love God entirely with my entire being. Every thought, every desire, everything was turned towards him. Then it's plain that the answer is no. Again, Jesus didn't come up with this law. He actually quoted the scriptures. He quoted the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus. But when we look through that lens, it becomes so plainly obvious how much we fall short. I can't say that I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, every moment of every day. None of us can. And so it puts us in a predicament because we need to follow God's law. We are called to follow this law of love. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is what God desires of us, and we can't do it on our own. This is something we see over and over when we read the, the Old Testament scriptures through this lens again. We see how God called Israel to this. He set up for them how they could, how they could um, with rules, but that they could follow to, to show what it looks like to love. He called them as made them a people for himself, but over and over again, they fell short. They weren't able to hold to the law of love. They had the prophets come and remind them that they did not love their neighbor. They had the prophets come and remind them that their worship was unacceptable. They had the prophets come and remind them that their hearts wandered over and over again. And so, when we read this through this lens, when we understand again that God is calling us to this law of complete and total love. It also reveals to us our deep need for grace. Because the only way that we can possibly remain in relationship with him, with a holy God who asks us to set aside our entire life for him, is if we have forgiveness. And ultimately what this reveals, as Jesus is talking to them, as Jesus lived his life, as Jesus walked through as a man who actually did love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength, as he did walk through and love his neighbor as himself, and even as he reminded them, as they were looking for the Christ and they were wondering who this is, and they're trying to interpret these scriptures, Jesus points them to the fact that he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the one who actually does love God and love neighbor. And he is also God come among us, showing us what love looks like and of his great love for us. In Jesus, it is revealed that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he calls us to this, to, to turn to him for grace, to turn to him for forgiveness, to, that no matter how broken we may be, he invites us to receive this love of God anyway. That the covenant that he binds us to as he binds us to himself is not broken by our falsehoods, by our inability to hold to it, but it is broken 
It is held by God because of his great love. Because ultimately, this reveals something about God's character too, right? That God created us for love, for him and for others. And it shows and reveals in a way that Jesus' disciple John would state explicitly later on that God is love because of the way that he loves us so deeply. So as we live in a world, as we walk through a world that seems so terribly broken, as we look at the revealing of all the fractures in our society, in our self, in our life, as we look at the ways that we fail to trust, that our hope falters, that we stumble over loving neighbors, that we get angry and hold on to hatred, all of this points us back to the good news. God loves you. And God makes a way that we can walk into this law of love. Through the gift of his spirit, through the gift of his son, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for inability to keep the law for us so that we could have the spirit of God come into us and renew our hearts and that we could walk in love of God and love of neighbor each and every day. We cannot do it on our own. And the good news is that when our inability to do that is, is when that illusion that we can somehow hold on to this law is broken, when the illusion that somehow we were walking in the way of love and we're doing pretty good in it falters under the strain and stress of all that's going on in the world, then we are drawn back to Jesus. We are drawn back to the gospel, the good news that never gets old, that we never outgrow, that we always need to hear again and again. Jesus calls us to walk in the way of love because he first loved us. And we remember the cross. We remember the resurrection. We ask for his forgiveness and we ask for his gift of his spirit to remake our hearts in this way of love so that we can be a people that fulfills God's law, not on our own because we can't, but through Jesus Christ, whose mercy and grace reigns over all. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.